Good morning, Creekside. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are marching actually pretty quickly through the book of 2 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bible and would like to follow along that way, uh, open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, the, we have been going through like the most intense section in, uh, in these letters for sure, and some of the most intense stuff in the Bible actually, um, last couple of weeks. So if you missed it, two weeks ago we talked about Judgment Day, so if you need a little edification, you can hop back and uh, listen to that recording. And last week was about the man of lawlessness and uh, the mystery of evil, and all of it is just this picture that Paul's been painting about, like, looking at this community and saying, here's what's coming ahead in the end, and he's trying to kind of help them prepare and also trying to encourage them. Um, what's crazy about it in the last couple of weeks as we've gone through this stuff, um, you know, when you, when you think of, like, how the world's going to end, like end time stuff. I don't know what you, uh, what you default to in terms of like, okay, what are we going to do? The world's going to end at some point. I think everyone kind of, well, I don't know, does everyone agree? I think everyone agrees on that. The world's going to end at some point. And as Christians, I think we just get weird when we think, okay, the world's going to end, so what does it look like to get ready, right? So, um, so I've, I'm old enough to have seen people like stockpiling canned goods or, um, or you know, making like intensive timelines and things like that that we got to do to be ready Paul has said uh, very, very little about application in these two things. So, so eventually God's going to come back to judge uh, the, the living and the dead. He's going to come back and he's going to bring justice to every act of injustice that's ever been. So he's talked about all that. He's talked about how, um, man, as the, as the world comes closer to an end, there's going to be this like evil that's like pervasive and that's working and so be ready for it, that kind of a thing. But he said almost nothing by way of application. He said two things, actually. At the beginning of uh, second, or second Thessalonians 2, he says, uh, in verse 2, he talks about, uh, don't be alarmed, okay? So he's basically, the, the very thing I think we're prone to do when we think about the world is going to end, he's like, don't let it freak you out. Don't be scared of this. And the second thing he said is in verse 3 of second Tim, or second Tim Thessalonians 2, um, which is, uh, don't be deceived, okay? So don't be alarmed. Don't, like, don't let this freak you out, and don't be deceived by it. And now, finally, in the section that we're getting to this morning, he's going to give some application. And it looks like three things. This is just a little roadmap as we go. He's going to do three things. First of all, he's going to pray, pray for them, like express his thanksgiving over them. Then he's going to give them one application point, um, sort of two, but kind of one application point. And then he's going to give a benediction over them. So that's where we're headed. I'm excited to have things kind of like calm down a little bit theologically for us. But I do have a bit of a doozy for you in the middle, just because it just... I didn't want us to go cold turkey off the controversy. So um, we're going to start here in verse 13. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, here we are, and um, Paul is just, okay, he's just said all this about how the world's going to end. It's like big picture, epic, sweeping things, mysterious figures, all this kind of stuff. He's talking really big scale, but what I love about Paul is he's not sitting here and he's not thinking of it primarily just about like a commentary that he's writing or some deep theoretical thing. He says it, and then he's immediately addressing real people, right? He's, he's writing the Thessalonians, and he he's, gives these big picture theological truths, but he immediately steps into this is why we're just thanking God for you. 
And he's writing to a little church, like a tiny church. He was in Thessalonica, preached the gospel there. These people responded to the, to the word of God and just their, their hearts came alive. They began to be shaped as a community by the word of God. And, and then Paul had to leave because the community around them was just oppressing them. Like, no, get out of here with this Jesus talk. Um, and you guys need to do things the same way that we do. And so they were run off and they were um, uh, reaching back. And so here's this little community and Paul just says all this about, don't worry, they're oppressing you now, but justice is going to come to those who, who oppress others and things like that. And now he's just looking at them and saying, I am just thanking God for you guys. It's such an important thing that as he says this, he's thinking of specific people. And what does he say? Why is he thanking God for them? Verse 13, we always thank God for you because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Okay, so he says, God, cho- I'm so thankful because God chose you, okay? And so here's my little theological doozy to throw out at you is the doctrine of election, okay? And the doctrine of election is all about does God choose those who are going to be saved or do we choose that we're going to be saved? Does that make sense? Is it up to me or is it ultimately up to God and he chooses whether I'm, whether I'm saved or not? So now if that's a new concept for you, congrats. You just entered into one of the biggest controversies in the Christian faith um, because this is... Um, this is in the Bible. Many, many times it talks about how God chooses um, people to save them, right? Which is a cool thought if you're one of those people, right? You're like, okay, yeah, God's, that, wow, that's amazing. Thank you, God. That's awesome. Um, but it, it gets hard when we start using it to talk about, oh, those other people who aren't. And if you go back uh, in church history, a couple, we have a couple thousand years of people like really getting into it over this. Like really some epic battles that go back a couple thousand years but we will solve it quickly here, so don't worry about it at all. Um, I think at, at the heart of it all, Paul's saying, like, I'm, I'm just so thankful to God for you because God chose you to be saved. And I think that the point of what he's trying to get at is, um, he's like, hey, look at yourselves real quick. Like, I'm talking about these big picture things and how the world's going to end. And I, I, want you to, I want you to know I'm thanking God because he chose you and he saved you. I think the bottom line of what Paul's doing is he's saying, you don't get credit for what you're doing, right? There's this judgment, and you're going to come out on the right side of it, but you don't get credit for that. It's not because you were so awesome. It's not because you did everything right. It's not because you're, like, really good at believing, and that's why you're saved. He's saying, I just want you to know that I'm thanking God for the fact that you, like, saw him and that you heard the gospel that you responded to. I'm thanking God for that. Ultimately, God gets the credit for it. We don't get the credit for being better than anybody else because we're not. We don't get the credit for, um, like, being really good at believing because we're not. He's just saying, somehow, on this deep, big picture level, um, God is behind it all. Like, God is involved at a deeper level than we could possibly ever understand. And so God is choosing. It says in, um, in the next verse there, I think in verse 14, that he's called you through the gospel. It's this, this thing that God does to bring us to himself. So I say that. I believe that. I'm honestly a pretty Calvinistic. I don't think I'm, like, embarrassed about saying that. Like, I, that's just kind of the truth. We can debate it, but I've learned not to be angry about it anymore, so I can debate really nicely, and I hope you can too. I'd love to talk about it all, but here's, here's the problem I see with the, the doctrine of election. We've taken something that there's biblical statements about God choosing, like God chose you to be saved. That's like literally what it says, right? We've taken it, and we've made it really um, academic, and we've made it really like isolated, and we've made it about this thing that explains um, why we're here as the good group, and it kind of explains why everyone else is so terrible. Like, I think that's often what happens when you get into um, some Calvinistic-type circles, and you start talking about the doctrine of election. We use it to kind of justify the walls that we build, and the, and the ways that we talk about why, like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad God saved me, and honestly, it kind of makes sense, you know? It kind of makes sense that God would 
choose somebody like me, right? And, um, and, and on some level, it's like justifying your life choices. Like, oh, I chose, I, like I'm believing in God. This is where I've de- devoted my life to. And um, I'm kind of justifying on the basis of, well, yeah, this is like what God ultimately wants. And the hard thing about it is verses like this. Like the reason Paul says you were chosen by God, like who, think of who he's saying it to. Anytime in the Bible where you get a group of people that stands back and they're like, you know what? If I'm being honest, like, God's pretty lucky to have someone as great as me to choose to love, right? You know? Like, anytime there's a group of people in the Bible that gets that way, these types of statements are not made about them, okay? So, so think, take, take this. Romans 11. Um, that's kind of Israel's attitude. They were God's chosen people. God called them, chose them, saved them. And they got to a place where they're kind of like, well, you know, we are God's chosen people. And they kind of, they were exclusive, right? And they, they weren't reaching out. They weren't uh, being a blessing to the people around them. And it was all about their status and who's in, who's out, based on we're the ones that God's chosen. And it's in Romans 11 that Paul looks at them and he says, look, just so you know, you are grafted into this, like, olive tree. A- and here's the problem. If you don't shape up, if you don't revisit your, your views and your relationship with God, he could graft you right out, and he's going to graft other people in. In fact, he says that is exactly what's going to happen. So to that person that stands all proud in their status as someone chosen by God, he comes in and says, hey, yeah, yeah, you're grafted into the tree, but it could just as easily be removed, and someone else could be grafted into that. Or 1 Corinthians 10, Paul talks, and he says, look, let the person who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And there's these warnings to the people that feel like they've got it all together. So if we ever find ourselves reading about how God chose us and thinks, wow, that makes me pretty special. I guess that makes sense. The warning is the more appropriate thing for us. Who Paul's writing to here is this little community, right? And they've, they've come to believe and embrace the gospel. They're like, oh my gosh, Jesus died for me? Like Jesus loves me so much that he would die. Like he's forgiven my sins. Like even like my sins, my sins are so bad. My thoughts are so terrible. The way I treat other people is so inconsistent and bad. Jesus died for my sins so that I don't have to pay the penalty for that, so I don't have to feel the guilt of that. This is what that little community was living like. And then the people around them are piling on and saying, like, no, your faith is um, misplaced. No, you can't live like that. No, we don't want you talking about Jesus to people around you. Paul speaks to that little community, right, that's huddled and hurting and oppressed, and he says, your faith is beautiful, and I just want you to know I'm thanking God because he chose to pull you up out of that. He chose to save you in the midst of that. It's words of actual encouragement and love that Paul gives to them. And, and look at what he says at the beginning of verse 13. We always to thank, uh, give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters beloved by the Lord. I love that. He's just looking at them and saying, like, I'm, I'm going to identify you as these people. You are people that God loves. You are loved by God, and I hope that we can just let that sink in. Like, like, more than being elect or chosen, you know, more than being good Christian people, and I hope we could just be like, man, we are, I'm someone that God loves. I, I really am. And, and everyone we talk to is somebody deeply that God loves. And it's just such a key reminder that goes to the foundation of everything. And so Paul says, we, we thank God that he's chosen you. Now, what did he chose them for? Like, what are they chosen as? He says, God has chosen you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So they're chosen to be uh, not just special human beings, right? They're not just chosen to be prima donnas. They're not chosen to be elite. They're chosen as first fruits, which what the first fruits literally means is there's a whole big crop coming, and the first fruits are the first little pieces of that. So on the one hand, first fruits are super special. It's amazing, right? On the other hand, it's like, yeah, you're the first little bit of what God's doing, and what God's doing is going to be this whole big harvest, um, my, we, uh, when we moved up here six and a half years ago, my wife and I, we, uh, 
we sold an old uh, fixture-upper place in Southern California, and uh, the market being what it was, we were able to buy, like, a brand-new home, which is awesome, and the backyard is like a blank slate. So we've got to, like, figure out what that – so we set, up, set about trying to figure out, okay, what is – how do we want to, like, thrive in this space and set it up? And uh, my dad came to visit and uh, pulls up, and out of the back of his SUV, he pulls out a detergent bucket in which, uh, which had a bunch of dirt in it and a couple of sticks, like, sticking out of it. And he's like, hey, I brought you guys a housewarming gift, which we're like, Dad, come on, man. Um, he had planted a peach pit from his peach tree in a detergent bucket, and it had sprouted. And he's like, here's a peach tree for your backyard. And we're like, Dad, we don't even want a peach tree back here and whatever. But we uh, didn't want to offend him, so we planted the peach tree. And um, I'll tell you, it's lovely. It, it, like, blossoms pink in the spring. Uh, it, it produces a whole lot of peaches in the summer. And then in the fall, it gets this really nice orange color. And then it's a little ugly in December, but what's not, you know? So um, anyway, as we sit, it's now a big piece of, like, the rhythms of our life, this peach tree that's in the back. And um, at the beginning of the summer, like late fall or late spring, we get to see um, the little first, like, couple tiny peaches that are back there, right? And they don't mean a lot. Like, they're not, they're not edible. They're not useful. But as soon as you start seeing them, you know, okay, this is the first roots, right? There's going to be, like, more than 100 peaches on this tree by the end of the summer that we're going to be enjoying whatever. And I think that's exactly what... Um, Paul is saying, he's like, this little community, they're hurting, they're oppressed. He's like, look, you're just the first few blossoms on this thing, right? You're the first bit of fruit, and it's this picture, and this reminder that God chooses us, God uses us to be the very beginning of this bigger harvest. Ultimately, God is recreating this whole world around us. The world is, the world that God made to be so good has gotten so broken, right? And it's gotten so hard to live, and all these things happen that really shouldn't happen. And in the midst of that, God is working to bring about his new creation. And one day it's going to be all fixed, and it's all going to be amazing. But in the meantime, he works here, and he calls people and speaks love into their hearts. He chooses people to say, hey, I'm going to speak love into you so that you can be these first fruits of this bigger harvest that I'm going to do. So think of Thessalonica, this little church, way back when, and there's this tiny little community, and then look back over the next couple of thousand years from there, and all the things that God was just about to do at that point, all of the ways that God's love and his kingdom and his grace have spread and, and transformed lives and, and uh, communities. And we can look at us, too, and say, and there's a sense in which we're still this first fruits, right? God's doing something beautiful in our hearts, in our community, like something really beautiful in this community, I believe. Um, but it's a, a picture of, like, the much bigger thing that God is going to do. And, and it's always just working it silently, working it quietly. You know, but there's no trumpets that announce the uh, peach tree doing its thing, right? It looks in winter, it looks like it's not doing anything. I, I don't know the um, botany of that, you know, but it like something's happening and something happens all year long, right? Where all of a sudden there's peaches where there weren't peaches before and that's exactly how God loves to work. Quietly, imperceptibly, everything looks kind of dead, everything looks kind of mundane, but God's always constantly working. I love this picture and this reminder. And, and so it looks like knowing the truth, but he also says um, in the end of verse 13 there, through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So through that sanctification of the Spirit, it means like the Spirit of God is, is making us more holy. So in the same way that we don't, like, we're not just really good at believing, so we believed and everything, uh, God's mysteriously working in there to, to choose us, to call us, that's beautiful. But also the Spirit of God is working mysteriously behind the scenes to make us more holy, more and more like Jesus, more, uh, less and less like our old selves, less and less like the broken, hurting world around us, and more and more like Jesus would be if he were living on the earth still. This is the beautiful picture of God and his fingerprints working all around in and through us. And what's it for? Uh, verse 14, to this he called you through our gospel. 
so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So all this growth, all this health that Paul stops and thanks God for them, all of it, he says, comes because Jesus has called you through the gospel. And that is like the, the beautiful picture and the reminder that in the midst of all this, right, in, in a world where injustice runs rampant, and we have to be reminded that don't worry, God one day, God is the judge. He will one day work it out. In the midst of all that, there's this invitation that comes and says, look, you're broken, you're hurting, you, you, you oppress other people, and you're oppressed by other people. In the midst of all that, know this, I love you deeply. And because I've loved you so deeply, I've sent my son, Jesus, into the world. And he's going to suffer alongside of you. He's going to hurt in all the ways that you're hurting. He's going to experience all the brokenness. And he's going to ultimately take it all upon himself. And he's going to sacrifice himself. And he's going to die so that you can live. So that you can experience life in Jesus. So that you can experience the forgiveness of your sins. The removal of your guilt. The reconciliation of your relationship with God. The potential for healing in your relationships with each other. All of these things are what the gospel, the good news, invites us to see and to believe and to place our whole trust in this idea that, man, God loves us deep down. And ultimately, he says it's about then, um, at the end of verse 14, so that we may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about lifting him up. It's all about seeing how great he is. It's all about, like, this picture that he is so valuable, he is so good, he is so desirable, and, and we just... Get to, to get, get to experience that, like fellowship with him and just working together with God to basically just see more and more and more how great Jesus is. So here's the prayer. And he's just saying, after all this like crazy eschatology, end time stuff, he just lifts up and says, I'm thanking God for you for these reasons. Then he gives them the application point, And that comes in verse 15. And he says it like this. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter. All right, so stand firm. Here's the application point. Now, again, like, what do we, what do we tend to think is the application point for uh, end time stuff? Okay, therefore, build out the bomb shelter with all the cans in it, right? No? Therefore, make that YouTube video explain to everybody how it's all going to end and why so-and-so is the Antichrist. Like, nope, doesn't say that, right? No, therefore, stand firm, like, hang in there, just keep doing what you're doing, and hold to the traditions that you were taught. I, I just love how, like, underwhelming the whole thing is, you know? You guys, the world's going to end. God's going to judge the whole thing. There's going to be this man of lawlessness that's going to come, and, and hey, the mystery of evil is already at work amongst you. Like, he says all that. Whoa, Paul, what are we supposed to do because everything's going to get so crazy? Oh, uh, stand firm, hang in there, and just keep going with the traditions. Like, that's, that's all I've ever wanted for you is just keep doing this stuff, you know? Um, it's just such a good reminder that, like, that, that when things get really crazy, what are we supposed to do? Do the same stuff. The same stuff is the most powerful. Uh, the love and forgiveness and, and the, 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 the grace, like they're, they're a community that's shaped by the word of God. They're a community that's been shaped by the love of God. Yeah, that's what will get you through now, and it's what will get you through end. Hold on to the whole thing. I, I didn't say at the beginning, I, um, I'm actually meant to wish you guys a happy 4th of July. So happy 4th of July to you. Um, 3rd of July, I guess. And um, I, I am very thankful to live in the United States of America. I love this country very much, and I'm thankful for, like, the freedoms that I experience. And our, our country is far from perfect. Like, it keeps breaking in new ways and keeps being broken in some of the old ways, too. But it's really beautiful, and I love living here. Being part of, um, of the nation of America comes with certain traditions, okay? Right? So we're about to do our 4th of July traditions, which means I don't know exactly what you're doing, but I think I could guess some version of fireworks, right? So, you know, happy freedom. Let's blow some things up, okay? 
And uh, you're probably going to eat some kind of barbecue, uh, probably simple barbecue. And I'm guessing that at least half of you are going to be in a pool at some point tomorrow, right? So there's, there's these traditions that we get, like, to celebrate certain things, right? And, um, and all those are, like, be- I, I, like, love it. I love it. We're going to spend time with our neighbors and stuff. I'm excited about that. Um, but those are some traditions, right? But there's also more meaningful and more uh, deep and more powerful are traditions that come for us in our, like, allegiance not to our country, but our allegiance to Jesus as our king, right? And in the, the kingdom of God, right? Now, it's not, not just the kingdom of America, right? And so under our allegiance to the kingdom of God, there's these traditions and there's these things that we hold to that ultimately shape us. And I'm a little jarred, to be honest, as I read uh, Paul saying this, like, hold firm to the traditions because um, I'm, I'm a Protestant, okay? And if you guys don't know, you're Protestants too, okay? Um, maybe, maybe we have some non-Protestants visiting, but I'm pretty sure you are. And, um, and what that means is, uh, th- there was like in the, in the 1500s, Martin Luther and the other reformers, they looked and they, they, they see the Catholic church and they're like, man, you guys are all about tradition, just the way we've always done it. And some of these things have laid, led you far away from, um, the truth of God's scripture. And so the Reformation was about calling us back to the word of God and kind of like distrust the, the traditions that were dead and everything else. And, I'm Protestant. I'm happy to be Protestant. I think the Reformation was a great thing on the whole. It wasn't perfect. Nothing's perfect. Um, but at the same time, um, Paul's the one here. Not, not, not me, not uh, the Catholic Church. Paul's the one that's using the word traditions here. He's calling us back to something old, right? Something kind of, traditions are mundane. They, they get passed down and they go. And I think our, our generation has kind of gotten this sense that traditions are um, burdens that we bear, Right? Traditions are like straitjackets that keep us from doing what we should do, right? The point is freedom, progress, like move out. Let's get beyond all the stuffy church stuff and let's get like away from the burden of these traditions. And here's Paul saying, man, when it comes time for the end of the world, right? So he's looking farther ahead than we are apparently. And he's saying, what you got to do, stand firm and, and keep going with these traditions. Like these are the right ones. These are the good things, right? Now I say that and of course there's plenty of things in, in Creekside Church and in the church as a whole that are super unhealthy, okay? Totally plenty of things that are unhealthy. A lot of things that should be deconstructed, a lot of things that should be set aside as unhealthy traditions and just the way we always used to do things. So I'm not saying just take the whole thing and swallow it like a pill and it'll do you good. Like, I don't totally mean that. But what I mean is um, so many of the old truths, right? Um, so many of the, 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 the biblical truths, some of the, the practices of the Christian community that have been handed down generation to generation, Paul points to these things and says, hang, hang on to these things. There's actually life in them. I, um, I was reminded of this pretty powerfully when I was reading Psalm, 9, Psalm 119 a while back. It's like this, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it is all about, like, it's the guy has a huge crush on uh, the law of God. Like, that's the best way to explain it. He just keeps going through how amazing it is. Look at some of the things he says in Psalm 119 about the law of God. He says, if, you're not, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. So he's giving the, the law of God uh, credit for, like, keeping him from dying and he's saying, it's my delight. He says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. So he's saying, your precepts, your principles, the things, God, that you say that, like, I should live by these things, they actually lead me to life. That's a beautiful thing. Your testimonies, he said, are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. I mean, that's like over the top, right? He's like, I'm just sitting here, like, drooling, like, Oh, man, God, give me your commandments, right? All this is just a poetic way of saying, like, yeah, hold to the traditions. These things that God has said, these things that he's handed down to us 
are good and they lead to life. And so while in the Christian community there's a lot of mistakes that are made, there's a lot of harmful culture, there's a lot of misunderstandings of things, um, in essence, I love, man, the, the thought that so many of these big, beautiful things are healthy for us. So for, for uh, I, w- I was just at camp uh, a couple weeks ago with the youth, and one of the things about the camp, I told you guys, we were like hiking, and we're, um, we're going through like the rivers, and we're wa- white water rafting and stuff. It was amazing. But one of the things about the camp is they take away the kids' phones the first day. So the kids like do a week without um, their phones at all, which is still possible, turns out. Like just barely for some, but it's still possible. And what's crazy about it is we got to the end of the week, and, and a lot of the kids, it was really hard for them to be without their phones. And let's be honest, it would be hard for most of us too, right? You don't think so, but it would be. Um, you get to the end, and a lot of the kids were like, honestly, it was amazing not having my phone, you know? Just being able to be present in God's creation and have times just to pray and not be distracted and have, like, the, the Christian community, right? So what are these things? The idea of, like, solitude, of quiet, of, um, of prayer, the idea of the simplicity of Christian community. Like, these are the traditions that have been handed down, and it was so cool to see these kids just dive into the old things again, right? And, and to kind of be given that as a gift and to see, man, Yes, this is actually good, right? It's life-giving. Um, I, I've been processing this uh, from a, a weirder and more controversial angle this, this week and last week, and I guess we had a few weeks prior to that, of the whole, like, Roe versus Wade thing, um, which is this whole big thing, right? It's been, it's been a whole big thing for a long time, and I think uh, at its worst, it's been a um, cultural battleground that we've been fighting over, right? But, and, and, of course, like, the, the thing is just saying at the federal level, there, it's not a... Um, binding thing at the federal level, each state's going to decide, doesn't remove abortion or anything like that. And, and I also, as I'm, as I'm talking about, I want to acknowledge, like, it is so much more complex than we often make it. Like, so often we just, like, I see a lot of people just spiking the football and just like, yeah, awesome, Christians won. And, and I, I just, I don't see it like that. What I see is just individual people that are, like, broken and hurting. And there's, there's people in our church family that have had abortions, and, and, and there's people in our church family that are pro-life, and there's others that are pro-choice. And so it's like this whole big complex thing, and I, I don't want to try to oversimplify anything, but I, I feel like I, I um, as an illustration, I want to share, like, I, I'm pro-life. Like, that's, that's my conviction, and um, it's okay with me if you're not. Like, I, we can be friends, and, and we can talk, and we can care for each other, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for me, I look and I see the, the, the Christian church has this massive, long tradition of caring for, um, well, caring for women, caring for children, caring for um, infants. There was a time early in the uh, Roman Empire when um, uh, kids were being, like, left outside to die or even, like, thrown off bridges. And there's stories of these Christians, like, wading under the bridges to, like, catch and gather these, these kids and raise them, right? And so I, 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 there's a, this deep-seated, like, ethic of life that I think is way more expansive than sometimes the arguments make it. Um, that I see maybe has a hope of kind of coming back in our society a little bit more. Maybe we recover a, a better sense of the value of pregnancy and children and things like that. And again, it's complex, but I just see that and I'm like, yeah, I think this is good. I think it's healthy for us. And it, it becomes unhealthy when we take our opinions and our views of how this should play out in American life, uh, American politics, and we use that to then attack other people. Like that's, I think, where we've done the worst. Um, but if we can lean into these things and say, yes, yes, life and caring for humanity and being a being a community where we can be truly like pro-life in a in a holistic sense like that's acknowledging the tradition and it's a good thing i thought of it this week in terms of um our sexual ethics right and we get so grumpy about sex and and how that plays out and and what anybody else thinks of it but i i think that deep down like 
sex wasn't meant to be casual. It was meant to be relational. It was meant to be covenantal and all these things. And so I see as we get further away from that, you start to see like, man, our lives break down. And so anyways, all I'm trying to say is um, Paul just saying, man, there's all this big stuff happening in the world. And what I'm calling you to do, stand firm. Hang in there. You're experiencing opposition. Hang in there and just hold fast to the traditions. So it, just because your, like, grandmother who was stuffy and, and weird and maybe a little judgmental, just because your grandmother believed it doesn't mean that it's wrong and you should ditch it, right? Maybe there's some life in that thing, right? Maybe there's some, there, maybe there's a path to, like, human flourishing in this thing that your grandparents and their grandparents held. And, um, and I just, I like that call back because I feel like um, my generation, generation below me, um, has been a little bit more quick to just, like, Eh, that's old-fashioned, we don't like that anymore, and move past. And I think when we step back into some of the old things, like, not just, not just what people used to believe, but I think going back to Scripture and just saying, hey, it's there, it's written. Um, the, the, the Christian community has tried and tested this. It's a good, beautiful thing. Um, let's be slower to dismiss what generations before us have found to be life-giving. All right, I feel like we, I tried to make this not controversial, and I feel like I did. <clears throat> it's more fun that way. Um, verse 16 and 17. So here's Paul now is going to end with this. Um, this. This thing that he wants them to trust. This thing that he wants them to rest in. So he's given them this prayer, I'm thankful for you. He's given them this, um, this uh, application point of uh, uh, stand firm and hold to the traditions. And now he's going to give them this benediction. And man, I just have to say, like, I'm going I'm to read this, but I just have to say, I think this is so beautiful. And I... Um, and I know, I, like, I know that many of you in this space need to hear these words. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you as I read this, um, don't just let it be words on a screen or words that I read. But, like, th- these, are, these are ultimately, I believe, God's words for you. And I want them to speak rest in grace over you. So Paul says this in verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. This beautiful thing. That again, here's how he sums up his eschatology stuff and Judgment Day and all how the end times are going to roll out. He ends up by just saying, like, look, this is what I want. Our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father. And I think he's equating the two, um, showing them working together in this whole thing. And he's just saying, like, in this, I want um, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us, so again, letting that sink, and who loved us, like you were loved by God. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. It doesn't matter what your spouse or your kids think. It doesn't matter how you perceive the people around you think. It doesn't matter what your employer thinks. It doesn't matter what value society as a whole puts on you. It doesn't matter, like, what my opinions are and how they differ from yours. Like, all that matters here is he's saying, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father have loved us, and so you are deeply loved by God. I hope that we can believe that and rest in that and see this and also what has he given us? He's given us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. This God has loved us so intensely and has given us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. This beautiful picture of, hey, hold on, stand firm. Things are hard right now. It's going to keep getting hard. But as things are difficult for you, just recognize this. What's coming ahead is eternal comfort and this good hope that comes through grace. This beautiful picture, a reminder of what's happening. And, and, and look, he says in, um, in the very end, he wants this God to comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So again, here is the application of eschatology. Anytime we get in there and we study how, are the, how is the world going to end, what does the Bible actually say about it, consistently this is what we're given as application. 
Hang in there and hold to the traditions. And look, I'm praying that God would just establish your hearts. I, that God would just lead you into every good word and every good work. Like, he's praying that God would do this for them, right? So not, that, not them. Not try harder. Not, not like get it together. Not like be ready to picture every single thing that's going to happen. But just like, I, I want you to know this is all coming. And I'm just, I'm praying this blessing over you. May, may God, you just do this work in these people's lives. It's not timelines. It's not lectures. It's good works and it's good words and it's things that God himself is doing for us. I think that the big picture is, as we think of, okay, man, the, the world's going to end and every bit of injustice is going to receive a just uh, response, a just verdict. Two things we're called to is uh, turn to the Lord. He said it a whole bunch of times. Obey the truth. Obey the, obey the gospel. Um, uh, know the truth. Those kinds of things. Know the Lord himself. So all these are, so turn to the Lord. As we think of what's happening, turn to the Lord. Like he's ready, he's waiting, he's inviting, he's receiving and also this, rest in the Lord. Like, know that it all comes from God. He's not saying try harder. He's not saying do better. He's saying, I'm praying that the Lord would do this. So let's rest in the Lord. Let's see that it takes God himself doing it. I, I um, was reminded of this verse this week, and I just feel like it's such a perfect place for us to rest in as we close. He says in Psalm 127, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is, vain that you, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. What a good reminder that, man, as we like look at the world around us, and, and even things like I, you know, the examples I mentioned, like um, the, the way the world is sexually, the way um, Roe versus Wade, like there's, there's, I mean, there's, other, like, there's a whole bunch of Supreme Court things right now. There's a presidential election coming. There's all kinds of things that could stress us out, and we could think, okay, uh, Christians, time for us to get to work, right? And, and what we have to know before and after and underneath all of that is unless the Lord builds the house, we just labor in vain it, trying to build it ourselves, right? I love, I love that he says it's the, the, we're eating the bread of anxious toil, right? Like, okay, yeah, I'm just like working so hard. And he's just like, no, that's not what it's about. Uh, um, and as we look ahead, as we see like what's coming, I think the whole point is like, hey, He's giving us this big picture theology of a God that looks at us in so much love, and he invites us in, and he, he chooses us, he calls us, he brings us to himself, this beautiful picture of, hey, I'm doing all this, and look, I've got a big task ahead of you. Every good work and every good word, like all that's laid out for you, but it's God himself who's going to empower it in you. He's the one himself who's going to comfort your hearts and establish them in these things. And so I think for us, it's the idea of let's, go back to the old things, let's go back to the simple things, and let's just trust that it's God who's going to make those things meaningful. So, on that note, I want to invite you to two things. Um, one is, on August 6th, we're going to do baptisms. And um, baptism is one of those old things, right? It's one of those traditions that have been handed down for thousands of years, okay? And so baptism comes to us, and what it is, it's this picture of um, it really is a picture of resting in the Lord, right? So in the midst of our striving and trying to be good enough, trying to like mean something and matter on our own, in the midst of all that, the gospel comes in and the bapti baptism is, is this picture of Jesus died, he was buried in the earth, and he was raised again, and that's what ultimately matters in this universe. That's where we find life. And so baptism is us going under the water, like we're coming to him and saying, God, I've tried it all. I did every bit of effort. I tried to build the house myself, and I can't do it. I'm going to just lay my life down with you, Jesus. And so we go under the water like that. And then we come out of the water in this new life saying, it's not, no longer about what I can accomplish. It's no, about, no longer about what I think I can do. It's about, Lord, your life 
flowing through me and me living in that connection to you. So um, I want to invite you that on August 6th when we baptize, it's like come celebrate everyone getting baptized. And if that's you, if you've never been baptized and you would like to, um, or if your, your kids or something would like to, um, come talk to me. Come talk to any of our staff, any of our elders. We'd love to include you in that as this picture of rest in the Lord, of just saying, okay, yes, Lord, these traditions that have been handed down, this is good, this is me, I want to identify like that. And the second tradition that I want to invite us into is communion. And so we're going to close uh, this time here. We're going to sing some more. But before we do, we're going to stop and we're going to take communion together. One of the old traditions, one of the tried and true things that for thousands of years God's people have been doing ever since the moment when Jesus, uh, before he gave his life, night, last night with his disciples, he gathered them together. They shared a meal and he took uh, bread and he broke it and he took wine and passed it around. And, and the whole thing is this picture of Jesus just saying, I'm giving myself for you. Like, that's it. I'm giving myself for you. And what I'm about to do, when I die, it's not for me. It's not just about me. It's also something for you. Like, I, I'm giving my body. I'm giving myself to you. I want you to participate in that. And so he broke the bread, saying, this is like my body. He took the cup, passed around, said, this is like my blood. And he's saying, I love you, and I want you to participate in this death and this resurrection together with me. So what we're going to do is um, we have uh, the table here. So there's, um, there's juice there. There's um, crackers on the ends. There's gluten-free crackers in the middle. And um, let's just take a few minutes and um, everyone just grab what you need for yourself and for your family and uh, just kind of come on up gently, calmly, and then we'll uh, make our way back. And after everyone's kind of settled back in, then we're going to take these things together.